0: For September 17, 2023, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, Matthew 18, 21-25, proper 19. A reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. I'd like to start by uh, just admitting to you all how difficult this passage was for me. Uh, Demonstrating this, um, I forgot to say the words, the usual words we say at the end of a gospel reading. The Word of the Lord the good news of the Lord, or the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, or praise to you, O Christ. I read the passage, and then I forgot those words. And I think that I forgot those words is a demonstration of how I didn't feel these words were. Um, I had trouble identifying them, labeling them, naming them as, as the word of the Lord, or the good news, or that I wanted to, I wanted to be thankful for them so i want to, I want to admit that, and why I want to admit that is I think it's really important to normalize that scripture can frustrate us in fact a a good listening to scripture um might potentially lead to frustration right instead of it being an indication that we're missing something, maybe it's ex- it, 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 the opposite is true we're getting it, and that there's something inside us there's something that's true of us, maybe there's a thing that we're holding on to that is. Keeping us from letting these good words that do good things in our heart do the good things in our heart, and so then to let that frustration be a energizing thing, not a discouraging thing, but an energizing thing that moves us further into considering what might be happening, what might be true in our heart, what might be true in our life that's keeping um, these good words from doing the good things. So first that. Second, uh, I think it's really important that we notice how seriously Jesus takes forgiveness here, right? It is a life or death situation in this parable. And um, and and it is so critical for us that as we follow Jesus' teaching, Jesus' way in this world, in our life, that we too take forgiveness seriously. So let's work through the text. I want to point out a few things in our reading for us, and, um, and hopefully it will will open up more to us so that as we are reading, declaring, sharing these words uh, in the various ways we do that, they will, um, they will have potency and power because they become real, um, they become real in us. So, uh, starting here at 1821, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? Now that word there for church, right? If another member of the church sins against me, Peter's question: It's actually um, if another um, brother sins against me, how often should I forgive? The question is put in terms of you know of, of brother. Now, of course, this makes a ton of sense because who's um, who? Who are those who Peter is going to be in conflict with? Well, it's the other disciples and the apostles, of which many were uh, were men. And if we just think in terms of the twelve. Um, you know, Peter getting into a tussle with James and John does not seem all that unlikely or Peter getting into a tussle with, um, with Matthew. (coughs) Um, anyhow, the question here is, is, is using those words, which makes sense in the context, but also, what we have here too, for us is a description of what the relationships are imagined to be like for those who are following the way of Jesus. And it's a familial connection, right? It's a brother, it's a sister, it's a sibling, it's a fraternal. there's this shared life. And as I think everyone I know knows, uh, familial relationships, or origin, family of origins, originating relationships they, they cut both ways. They are potent relationships. They are spaces where things are done at deep, deep levels and it's, it's deep good and it's deep harm. And the way we're invited to be together is a, there's a kindredness and forgiveness is needed in those spaces. Um, Forgiveness is needed in familial and kindred and brotherly, sisterly, fraternal spaces. Maybe even especially in those in those spaces. I mean, we see that playing out in the entire book of Genesis. We've got, um, we've got conflict between, between Adam and Eve. We've got conflict immediately out of the garden between Cain and Abel. We have, um, we have conflict between Abram, Abraham, and Lot. Um, in Genesis thirteen, we have conflict between um, Isaac and Ishmael. We have conflict between Jacob and Esau. We have conflict between Joseph uh, and the rest of his brothers, and so on. So there is this way in which the relationships in the body of Christ are are such that they're they're kindred, they're familial, in like chosen, uh, chosen familial, chosen kindred, and we'll need to learn how to forgive each other. Um, We'll need to learn how to seek forgiveness from each other, to offer forgiveness, to not withhold, uh, not withhold it. It's really interesting that what we have happening in this passage is not forgiveness being withheld from someone, but instead that someone is refusing to receive forgiveness. Almost as though, at least, uh, almost as as though we're saying that that the problem isn't just uh, forgiving, but being forgiven. Or maybe even to be a little more provocative here, that the real, real fundamental issue with unforgiveness is that we have yet to be forgiven ourselves, we have yet to allow ourselves. Be forgiven. And it's not until we allow ourselves to be forgiven that we can be forgiving. Think about the, the woman who Jesus said was forgiven much, so she loved much, and because the other had not been forgiven much, the love was little. So Peter's asking a question about what does it mean to, um, to be forgiving in, in the context of the body of Christ, and he suggests to Jesus that seven would be the appropriate number. And uh, I don't think we're talking about a literal seven. I don't think we have punch cards. But he's talking about seven within the language and the imagination of Scripture, which moves towards this idea of fullness or completion. If we just go back to the first seven days, on the seventh day God rested from all his work that he had done, and he saw that it was it was good, There is completeness. I think we could easily hear Peter saying, listen, should I forgive someone fully? Should I forgive someone um, the full amount, everything they owe me? And we have Jesus answering back saying, not not seven times, Peter, but 70 times, right? Seven, 10 times over, like more than complete completeness, beyond what you can even imagine. I think we hear Jesus answering, Peter, that forgiveness is to be an extravagance. Imagine the onlooking world going, what is it amongst these people? What is this good thing? that they have together. And how do I get it? Now, there's another interesting way to look at 77 here. If we make our way over to the Gospel of Luke, uh, we go to chapter three and we see Luke's genealogy. We find that Jesus is the 77th generation from Adam. And so if we let Matthew and Luke kind of talk to and influence each other, the the 77 that Luke's playing with here, if we connect it to Peter's question and Jesus' response, there's a way of understanding that what Jesus is telling Peter and all of us who are listening in this moment is, listen, I am here to forgive everything that has happened from the time of Adam to now. Extravagance. Peter wants to know how much is to be forgiven? More than we can imagine. Everything that's happened in the 77 generations up to this moment and everything that will follow. Christ is here to forgive all things and to release everyone everywhere from everything, every debt. All right, let's move on to the parable itself. Now, this parable is fundamentally about extravagant forgiveness and release from debts, and there's a few puzzle pieces here that make this abundantly clear. The first is to understand what the debt is between the master and the first servant. All right, and it's a being this debt is being expressed in terms of of talents, right? So a talent is generally understood to be what a day laborer, somebody who's working at the lowest level of, uh, of the socioeconomic place, what they would make in 15 years. One talent is 15 years working at sort of the lowest level uh, of society. Okay. And the average lifespan uh, for someone in first century Israel-Palestine who Jesus is talking to, who these words are contextually aimed at, is 29 years, which means if you begin working at 14 or 15 years old, you're going to die at 30. 15 years wages, a talent is likely what you would anticipate making in a lifetime. A talent is... The lifetime wages for the majority of the people who are listening and following Jesus around. But the servant doesn't just owe the master a lifetime of work, which perhaps the servant could find their way out of. No, instead the servant owes the master 10,000 talents, 10,000 lifetimes of work. The debt is absurd, it's impossible. There's no way this servant who says, listen, let, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. There's no way he can make good on this promise. Now to put this into modern terms, what the numbers would look like for us, a talent would be 1000000 $350,000. Now, how do I get that? Somebody working at an incredibly low wage of $30,000 a year for 45 years, right? We consider that to be a lifetime of work. Could expect to make a 1350000 That would be their total earning. That would be what they could make in a lifetime, all right? So that's one talent. So 10,000 talents is $13,500,000,000. Owing or forgiving 10,000 talents is beyond imagining for almost any human being. Owing that and forgiving that, that's absurd. That's an absurd amount of money. That's an imaginary uh, uh, amount of money. And this parable moves beyond the absurd into the grotesque, which I think is part of what Jesus is messaging here. To forgive is to engage in an action that might feel or seem or be absurd. And as absurd as forgiveness might seem, it is our only way. There is no possible way to square the debts between us all. All right, now moving further into this, the absurdity surrounding this parable. Some people want, some people read hell and eternal conscious torment here. And I would just offer we pause for a moment and consider how monstrous the idea is of handing someone over to be tortured until they pay back their entire debt. First of all, how do you pay back a debt if you've been turned over to, to be tortured? Is it a some sort of like work release program where you're tortured for eight hours a day, then you get eight hours to work, then you get eight hours to sleep, and you do that over the course of 10,000 lifetimes, and hopefully you've earned it all back? Is it Is it that scenario? Or moving even further into, um, well, actually out of the absurd, into the frightening, into the scary, into the monstrous, uh, is the idea that that torment, that being tormented is payment, is a currency God accepts in payment for our debts. I don't think you can read it that way and take seriously the life, the lived life of, of Jesus. You have to instead recognize that that Jesus is communicating here through, um, hyperbole, um, through maybe exposing some things that are in us, right? There's more that there's a little more going on on the surface here than, than what's straightforward. And I think that the terms, right? Like the, the dollar amounts are, are like winks and nods to the hearer. That, Listen, we're, we're speaking here, um, and hyperbole now we're I think, we start to sink into the emotion of this text to the difficulty of this text is what happens in and around this first servant after he's been forgiven but while being unwilling and particularly the the disparity between them the first servant owed an absurd amount of money and was released from his debt 10,000 lifetimes the second servant owes 100 denarii, which is about 100 days of work. So not even a year, right? So it's one year against 10,000 lifetimes. And the question has to be, and the question I can't escape is, how is somebody forgiven such a great debt and unchanged? How is the first servant, the recipient of such goodness, unwilling, unable, maybe even unaware that it's possible for them to show the same amount, to show even a fraction, just a sliver of that mercy. Now, if we look really close at what happens between the master and the first servant, I think we get a clue here. And let's be clear. We're talking about the master and the first servant. We're talking about God and we're talking about humanity. We're talking about a human we're talking about what can can exist, could exist, does exist between us and, and the divine. And so you go to verse 26. And after the debt's been called out, the slave fell on his knees before him, before the master saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then the master, out of pity for him, releases him and forgives him the debt. But the servant, the slave here, and the master are talking they're they're existing on two different levels they're they're actually not having the same conversation the slave is saying I, I will pay you back the slave isn't seeking forgiveness the slave just wants more time to earn it and that word there for for pity nizomai, it's a compassion it's a deep movement in our gut, in our bowels. The weight of the servant's debt and plight, the weight of the slave's debt and plight moved the master in his very stomach to forgive him the debt. But the slave just thinks he's got to pay it back. You could read it as the slave asks for patience. The master says, I forgive you your debt. The slave not even expecting that to be a possibility, not living in a world where that's even in in, in the realm of of, of likely, of, the, of forgiveness being so absurd, he thinks it's not what's being offered, but instead he has to go out and start doing whatever he can do to make good so he doesn't get tossed back into prison to protect his, his family. And so he goes out and he starts debt collecting himself. I want to suggest that this first servant... Has no idea that they've been forgiven. That we don't, we don't realize our forgiveness. I mean, think about all of the things that we carry around with us, all of the regrets. Think about the weight of, of the past, or the weight of the future in light of the past. Think about the things you're embroiled in in the very present. To, there are lots of ways to not know that you're forgiven. I think at the heart of what's difficult about this passage is that perhaps like us or perhaps like like the slave, we do not understand, we have not received, we've not made room for that we've been released from our debts. Maybe what we have here, that maybe this parable is moving us towards the same thing Jesus is talking about in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants for servants do not understand what their master is doing. Well what's just happened in Matthew? right in the lead up to this moment we have Jesus um, rev- we have Peter making this declaration that Jesus is the Christ. We have Jesus revealing that the Christ is the suffering servant who will carry the debts, will move into the brokenness, who will uh, bring forgiveness, Jesus saying that, that those who follow him must be like him, so must take up their cross. We have them starting to get in on it and here we have Jesus starting to transition them from understanding themselves as servants or slaves to friends or to to serving friends. Um, or, to f- or to friends who bind themselves and the one who made them in, in lives of loving obedience to the way of love. Or Paul talks about it in Romans 8, how that the spirit we receive is not a spirit of slavery, but of an adoption, crying, not master, but Abba, father. Or if we go to Luke 15, we see the son who was lost, who, who had wandered far and squandered his life, hoping to come home only as a servant hoping for a life of of service and nothing more, and upon just beginning to return home, finds himself wrapped up in the, the loving arms. And we get right down to what's happening in this parable, and I think what's fundamentally problematic about it is the first servant, the first slave, and our inability to be people who are forgiven, to be people who are yet unwilling to move from lives of just obedience to commands, and to be people who are friends and friendly and collaborative and with God. What, right? What if this moment is about Jesus bringing them forward deeper into the mystery of God, the gospel that that God wants. You to be with and near because God loves and is with and is near you. What if this moment is about Jesus bringing all of us forward? deeper into the mystery of god that gospel the good news that god loves you wants to be with you wants to be near you is with you is near you and and the accounts are being settled are you ready are you ready to let your debts be forgiven and to move forward out of an indebted life to move forward out of trying to exact what you need from the others that are around you who owe you just such pittances Just a small fraction of the debt that you've owed elsewhere that you've been forgiven. You're listening to For the Readers, a podcast to invest in all those readers of Scripture, especially those proclaiming the gospel in their faith communities. Each week, we read the gospel text as set out by the Revised Common Lectionary and then offer what may be beneficial and formational for the reader. Commenting on such things as aid and pronunciation, an exploration of context and curiosities connected with the text, offering one of many possible views of what may be essential in our reading, consideration of the passage's emotional tone and how this specific text may be read well and thus heard in a life-giving way, all this to offer greater familiarity and a deeper interconnection with the scripture which is then becoming a more fertile ground for the spirit to be transforming the reader and thus the community further into Christ-likeness. May we have the mind of Christ.